Ideas are everywhere. Welcome to Lessons Learned in Marketing, the Phoenix Group Podcast. I'm your host, David Bellarive, and hey, we're now a member of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. Woo, we have a network. And we're also now available on iHeartRadio. So thank you for your support and for listening. Today, my guest is Mitch Duckler. Mitch Duckler has just released a book called The Indispensable Brand, Moving from Invisible to Invincible. What makes your brand indispensable? This is a fabulous book, really a guide to crafting a brand strategy. Mitch, welcome to Lessons Learned in Marketing. Thanks for joining me. It's great to meet you, David. I... um. I really enjoyed the indispensable brand. Uh, you know, there's. Uh, I'll, I'll just share a few things for you first. One thing I always love, and uh, not a lot of authors do this, is uh, the the uh, the wealth of footnotes you put in there. I find uh, fantastic. So thank you, thank you so much for that. It's great to dig in further and find out where you're, you know, getting your research from. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me, where does that come from? The indispensable brand. What drove you to to write this book? So what drove me to write the book is, and I talk a lot about it in the beginning, is um, I believe we are increasingly living in what um, I would call brand monotony. Uh, very often you'll hear referred to as a sea of sameness, but regardless of what you call it, I, I believe that brands are becomingly are becoming increasingly indistinguishable from from one another uh, in virtually every category, um, and even leading brands within those categories. You know, I always say. To my clients, if, if your customers were to remove the label um, or the name from your brand, from the product, would they even recognize it as yours? And I think more often than that, the answer is no. And there's a lot of reasons why this is happening, and I go into them in my book. But basically, this is kind of a call to action for marketers to build indispensable brands, which I define as brands that your customers truly cannot live without. And why? Like, I, I understand why brands have become, I guess, or reach this brand monotony. How can you get beyond that? So there are basically, my premise is there are really four different ways that brands can become differentiated. And um, I define them by the traditional journalist questions of what, how, uh, why, and who, right? And, And asking yourself, those four questions about your brand, really that simple. And, you know, the what is obviously very benefit focused. What is it that your brand does for you? What benefit does it offer? What problem does it solve? What utility utility does it provide? Um, and that's really a what. And that's how most brands are uh, differentiated. But um, unfortunately, in a lot of categories, that benefit is universal. That what is universal, right? And it's almost a stake or an ante. So, um, I encourage people to think about differentiation differently, right? And and what about the how, right? It's not what you do, but how you do it. So a how can be um, about about a process or a technology or an ingredient. Um, you know, for example, in in the auto industry, right? Any car will get you from point A to point B. That's the what, right? But the way Tesla does it is is clearly um, very differentiating, and the way BMW does it is very different from um, a Toyota, for example. So it's very much in the how. Um, a third way is the why, right? There's been a lot of buzz around purpose branding in the last five to ten years or more, even. And here we have an awkward podcast moment. At this point, my Skype line with Mitch disconnected and we did reconnect and continued our conversation. But somehow I neglected to hit record soon enough 
and a miss the fourth brand promise type, and that is based around who. And in this case, the point of difference who is defined by the target audience for whom your brand is intended. Now, back to the podcast. Do you find it, do you, I always find it a challenge, and or not always, I sometimes find it a challenge for brands to break out of that uh, and, and dig into which one of those might be unique for them. Do you have any thoughts or advice on, on how to get there? Yeah, I, I think, um, as you might expect, it, it does begin with looking at each one of those four and deciding where you do have a point of difference, or even, even if it's possible to have a point of difference. As I said, if, if there is a universal benefit, like in, in hair care, I used to work in the hair care category um, back in the day with Unilever, and there was kind of a universal benefit around beautiful hair, right? Yeah. And, and it's kind of hard to differentiate based on that. So brands like Pro Pantene Pro-V would differ based on their how, right? And they actually had a very strong how, their um, vitamin infused formula, right? It just begged a differentiation based on the how. So, you know, take a look at even what your options are. And, and if you're what is universal, start looking at other aspects of your offer. Do you have a unique process or ingredient that you want to lean into? Um, same with your why. The only ca- caution here I would give is, is you know, make sure that it's, uh, it's um, very true to you, that it's um, genuine. And it really does reflect the reason why you are in business. And, and as I said, not simply um, a CSR campaign, but, you know, is your why something that truly defines um, your purpose and and uh, the differentiation for your brand so funny you mentioned unilever because they've they've gone now and are focusing all of their brands on purpose and and trying to find what what is a good purpose for those brands yeah one way that you talked about was was really looking at the brand story and and trying to dig into that is that a, is that a great way to or is that the best way to find your positioning um, it can be, you know, typically it works the other way around. In my experience, you have a positioning, um, very often you're not always, but very often your position, um, it, it's from a Y based brand, but, um, it just begs a, a story, mm-hmm. right? It might be the founder, um, and his or her inspiration for creating the business and the brand that, um, provides the basis for a really strong story. Um, but very often, yeah, it, it can go the other way too. And as you're exploring your positioning, right. And, and you, and what makes you different and you're identifying a purpose or a why very often you can do that through a story. And sometimes those kind of come together simultaneously. So it doesn't have to go one way or the other. It can go either. The, um, one thing I really struck me that I liked a lot about your book is that uh, your brand positioning model, like talking about the different target audiences and uh, mm-hmm. how they feed into the brand promise and then translating that into different stakeholders. Um, is, that, is that something that's new for brands or an, something that we, we now need to face in, in the new world? Uh, I would say it's, it's, it's somewhat new. I yeah. think tr- Additionally, like in the early days of brand management, especially in a very simplified media environment where, uh, you know, in brand management, advertising was typically the the main medium and you had three network televisions, uh, television networks rather, and uh, positioning was just much more simple, right, And in that that day and age. And I think now with brands being much more complex and operating in much more complex environments and with the, the advent of, of and the emergence of the internet and social media and so forth, it's, 
there are more stakeholders than ever that impact or influence the the um, destiny of your brand. So you need to think about them all, right? You need to think about, especially in B2B, they need to think about things like, you know, who are their suppliers, who are their their vendors, um, who are their customers, certainly, but who's also influencing the brand indirectly. And as you think about that, you start to come up with other stakeholders besides just the customer, right? Customer will always arguably be the most, single most important target or stakeholder, but other people influence your brand as well. And that's really the purpose behind that model is come up with an overarching or an Uber brand positioning, if you will, but then figure out how you make that relevant for different stakeholders. And when you do that, is there, uh, is there a point where you can get too uh, general in your promise or how do you, you know, try to still be, I guess, something unique and, and distinguishing but, uh, but translating well into all those different stakeholders? Yeah, that's a great question. And I often have this discussion with clients when we get to this. Um, their temptation is to translate in such a way that it's not even a translation anymore. It's an entirely separate um, value proposition, or <laughs> right? And, yeah. and that's, I think that might be where you're, where you're heading with this is that then you begin to dilute and confuse, right? A translation is just that. It's taking an overarching benefit, for example, um, you know, superior performance and talking about what that means for different stakeholder groups as opposed to coming up with an entirely different <clears throat> proposition or, val- or value proposition for each stakeholder group, right? Two very different things. And uh, if you, if you – deviate too much from your central positioning as you do these translations, you will definitely dilute your brand and, and confuse your, your target audiences. Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't seen that presented that way before. I, I really enjoyed that. Is that a model that you've come up with or have you seen that before? Um, I've used it quite often with clients. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I said, I think I find it most beneficial in a B2B space as they think about, you know, different, stakeholders that are impacting their brand, especially corporate brands. You know, they think about investors, they think about um, the media, they think about um, industry analysts, things like that, Um, in addition to obviously customers. Um, So that's really where it came about. But you quickly begin to realize that even consumer brands face a lot of the same the, the same factors, right? Certainly they're thinking about consumers, but they're also thinking about the retail trade. They're thinking about um, influencers, especially in an, in an increasingly online world. You need to think about um, more than just your target customer as you position your brand. And how do you make that brand relevant for, for other stakeholders? Again, within the context of your positioning, not letting you deviate too much from that single-minded main idea. Do you find, um, I guess maybe it's the digital world nowadays, but um, uh, brands seem to drive to tactics uh, quite quite quickly rather than pulling back? I think you talk about that a little bit in, in the book as well. I do. Uh, and, and yes, I absolutely think that's the case. The, um, you know, one, and one of the things I try to make the point I try to make in the book is that digital is a very very positive influence or can be a very, very positive influence on brands. So I'm not trying to say that technology and digital activation is bad for branding. Um, Quite the opposite. I think it can be the single most transformational thing that's happened to brands 
um, since the dawn of brand management. However, if you're not careful in how you use it, and if you do resort, as I think many branders, brand marketers have, to, to tactics without really thinking about the underlying strategy and the position behind it, that is where you get into a situ- situation of monotony. And, and I think that is what has happened in the last 10 to 20 years as marketers in a um, never-ending effort to keep up with the latest in digital technology and platforms even, you know, is it Pinterest or Instagram or Facebook or Twitter and LinkedIn and it's overwhelming, right? I mean, how do you keep up with it all and how do you stay on top of it and master it and and actually think about it as a a tool for differentiation? It's, it's, it can really be overwhelming very easily. And what the result has been, I believe is brand marketers have resorted to tactics, right? And, And just saying, okay, let's do, what others are doing, and, and the only thing worse than being tactical is being copycat or, or uh, imitate uh, tactics. And I think that's what's happened, and that's why we do see a lot of um, monotony in in the brand world today. Yeah, especially especially in digital, like we need to be there just because it it, it it's there, and uh, everybody else is there. I love your example on Hyatt Hotels. It reminded me of I don't know if you've read um, Nicholas Webb's book, What Customers Crave, but he talked about different touch points and and how important those different experiences are and even translating that into digital or any other uh, marketing medium um, is it is is customer experience really um, uh, I guess becoming more and more critical or are, have we just started to realize it's it's important I think it has been I think it has been important for a while um, I think the uh, there's a book that's probably about 20 years old now, but it is still as relevant today as it was back in the day um, called The Experience Economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe you've read it by, by Pine and Gilmore. And, and really their whole notion is that we've evolved over um, decades, if not centuries, into an economy that's really based on on, on experiences, right? It's, it's not about commodities. It's not about products or even services anymore. It's about um, – about experiences and that's really what people are paying for right and 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 by virtue that's how brands are becoming meaningfully differentiated through the experiences that they offer um so i think that is something that has been in place for a while and and more savvy and sophisticated branders realize that and are embracing the notion i think and i talk about this in the book one one caution is that for some reason very often the experience is devoid from the brand. So as as brand marketers think about their experience, they don't necessarily tie it back to their brand, which is kind of, you know, surprising. Like they like they would with their advertising or yeah. their And to me the brand should be inspiration for the entire customer experience and for um, every touch point that comprises it, right? It should all kind of begin with and, and end with that brand positioning. How do you take that brand positioning and actually infuse it into every single touch point? And um, in fact, I call it the brand experience, not the customer experience. Yes, the customer is experiencing it, but even calling it the brand experience reinforces the notion that there is no such thing as the single ideal customer experience. Experience should really differ based on your brand positioning. Yeah, I see that a lot with um, with clients and brands in particular who even uh, as you were talking before about digital would would have maybe it's a because it's a different team uh, working on the digital side and uh, the social side and then a different team that's doing the actual 
retail experience or customer experience and then a different team doing the marketing there the brand has such great potential to unify all that and bring it together but it's it seems to be still a bit of a challenge for a lot of people any thoughts or advice on how to wrap that up yeah no i think that's a great point and um the um you know i think the key is is it is in um and there's a chapter on it in the book, you know, employee brand engagement and what the, the, the notion there. And I think it is even more important now in the, the digital age, right, because more and more employees have um, a dire- have direct access, especially through social media, but even more broadly through content marketing and, and, and distribution have a direct line to um to customers and to the market in general, right? So it it is more important than ever that not just your brand group, not just your marketing department, but everybody in your company really understands the positioning of your brand and and what it means to be on brand and and what constitutes being off brand. And making sure that as they, very often with very good intentions, right, as they're communicating via things like content marketing and social media, that they're representing the brand in the appropriate light. Um, again, that's always been important, but because of the, the ubiquity of of digital activation and, and social media in particular, that's it's more important now than ever. What what do you see? What do you see or what brands do you see that um, you admire that are do, that are doing things really well? You know, I think one one example is um, I think especially in the consumer space is Red Bull. Um, they are in, and um, I did speak with somebody in, in conjunction with the book from that that works on their digital efforts. They have a great perspective around um, digital activation, and their whole premise is that it starts with the brand. And everything that's happening in a digital space should really revolve around the brand. Um, and instead of it being what we what they call top down, it, it's more bottom up, right? They they start with the brand and they go from there, as opposed to kind of forcing a message out that uh, may or may not be consistent with the positioning of their brand. So, as a result, everything that they do. Uh, is very consistent. You know that brand has a very strong positioning, a very strong persona. Um, they, they're very consistent in their delivery, and as you think about their touch points, both online and offline, you know they're, they're very consistent and true to that brand. Yeah, I, um, I was just at a conference actually and heard the a fellow from Red Bull talking, and they're almost at a point where they can not have the energy drink anymore. It could just be Red Bull Media. It's fascinating. Yes. <laughs> right, they take it to, to an extreme. Yeah. Um, I, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about, Mitch, was your celebration of the corporate brand. You might be the first person to cheer on this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that th- there is. And it goes back to, th- there has been kind of a renaissance, if you will, uh, around corporate brand and even traditional house of brands. Uh, you know, CPG firms like Unilever and like... Um, Procter and Gamble that really go to market at least, you know, with their product brands um, are realizing the importance of the corporate brand and beginning to advertise and promote that. And, um, you know, I started many, many years ago now with SC Johnson um, and their promote their promotion of their corporate brand and their company, you know, as a family company. And that at the time was very, it, it had a lot of people scratching their heads. Like, why are they doing that? Why are they talking about it? And nobody buys SC Johnson. Yeah. 
um, you consumers are buying Glade or Pledge or Off or any other you know very strong brands. But I think they realized early on, and more companies are realizing this now, is that you know again, as I said before, consumers, a lot of consumers, especially millennials, care as much, if not more, about the company behind the products and services than the products than services themselves, and. When you have that kind of a mindset, you know, promoting the corporate brand and, and in particular what your values are and what it stands for is, is just more important than ever. And I think you've seen other companies, you know, Coca-Cola is another example of a company that rarely talked about their corporate brand um, in, in advertising and, and other um, mass media, but they, they do. They talk about their company, they talk about their portfolio brands, not just their flagship brand, and they talk about what their brand is doing um, from an environmental perspective and so forth. I, again, I think a lot of that is just reflecting consumer trends um, around um, an increased desire for transparency and understanding purpose and mission more than ever. Yeah, really a lot of that purpose and mission idea and trying to, I guess, like you would a, 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 a a brand, a product brand, uh, align that corporate brand altogether. At least I see that with a few few companies, and and those are probably the ones that are doing it really well. Like again, Unilever, who's saying every brand we have in our portfolio is going to be purpose driven. Right. Yeah. The the other thing that I also talk about in the book is there there are a lot of other benefits. I think there is um, you know corporate brand can provide esprit de corps for employees. It's kind of a, a rallying cry. Um, it also can be um, goodwill during very challenging times. Um, and you know, we, we talk about in the book the, the, what happened to BP years ago um, in the late 2000s with yeah. the Deepwater Horizon tragedy. And, and you know, I'm not sure, I, I put out in the book that I'm not sure that company, that brand would have survived if it hadn't been as strong as it was. You know, they invested very heavily in the years up, leading up to that yeah. uh, and built very, very strong brand and, and one kind of grounded, ironically, in environmental consciousness um, that I think they they actually were able to tap into it and, and get through a very, very trying time that other brands may not have survived. Um, so there's a lot of benefits to it and, and I think a lot of um, ways to make the case for an ROI and investing in your corporate brand, but those are just a few of them. Yeah, we had an experience here where um, there was a, a- a tragedy and one of our brands one of our clients was looking to how they respond to it and because uh, they had done a lot of work on finding their brand purpose they really went back to that and sort of said well how how should we respond with this and that that might be how bp a- approached that if it was founded in truth they really kind of looked at themselves and said how how should we deal with this exactly exactly we're, we're facing a couple other crises in real time and we'll see if they're very very venerable brands we'll see if they're able to survive you know one is is wells fargo right i think they're um in in the process of uh, i think it's now what's their position reestablished in uh, 2018 <laughs> is their um their slogan but here in, in the united states that, that that's a brand that went through a, a terrible scandal really and and will that venerable brand be able to survive that i think it's the jury's still out um, also boeing um, in oh, recent, yeah. you know, with the, the, the tragedies that have, have happened um, in the airline industry that, that have been tied to the to Boeing aircraft. And, you know, I recently saw one of their senior leaders speak to um, in, at a conference where he he really addressed 
the the issue and how it is really kind of forcing them to think about and redefine who they are and and their their purpose and their their mission but i i do think again it's another example of where I do believe Boeing will will emerge from this crisis, and and I do think a lot of it can be attributed to the strength and the equity that they built in their very strong corporate brand. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What um, what are some of the challenges that you see ahead uh, for for brands? I think um, there's a few. One in particular that. Um, I think is becoming it's been a challenge for a long time but it's becoming even more so is just the the whole notion of measurement and, and accountability so um and marketers i think are really being challenged more than ever to justify the investments that they make in their brands and um you know, as much as it's, it's, you know, I think a lot of the digital activation that has has come about in the past, you know, couple of decades there's a lot that's measurable right you can you can measure things like um transactional type activity like acquisition and purchase and loyalty and things like that but i still think at the end of the day it's still very difficult to measure things softer things like brand equity and you know the things we were just talking about you know has bp and have boeing and, and wells fargo built equity long-term equity into the brand uh, through all of their brand building activity, I think that's still a challenge for a lot of marketers to assess and to determine, you know, what is the softer side of a brand and how are the investments that we're making in the brand, are, how can we quantify those and, and, and really validate that they're real? Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> it is, um, I think we're starting to make some strides there, but it is uh, a, a great challenge to to try to tackle. Yeah, and as a result, I think that's why a lot of market because again, we measure what we can measure. So we measure very transactional things like sales and customer acquisition, or even things in the social media world like views and comments and shares and posts, right? Because we can, um, and those are all great and important metrics. Don't get me wrong, but at the same time, I think we need to be able to assess the softer side of brand and, and the more and the longer term aspects of brand building. Yeah. And what are we doing to kind of build and infuse equity into these assets so that we have them um, on an ongoing basis as as enduring assets? Well, Mitch, the podcast is called Lessons Learned in Marketing, and you've gone uh, you've worked with brands for a long time. What 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 would you say would be um, your big lessons lately in in working with brands? I would go back to where we started, and that is all about the differentiation point. Uh, I think that, um, as I often say to, to clients, because we specialize, we're a consulting firm, we specialize on the strategy side of branding as opposed to the activation. The best activation, the most creative um, activation and implementation is basically meaningless if, if you if the strategy that underlies it isn't sound and more and more what that means today is identifying a meaningful point of difference right and and i i stress the word meaningful right you can be different without being relevant and meaningful but what is your point of differentiation um what is it that truly sets you apart and can provide a basis or a reason for somebody to be loyal to your brand and then you know, make and then the rest of it becomes easy you know because once you understand that you can very easily translate that into all the things we've just been talking about your digital activation your brand experience 
um, the, the story that you tell and the way you measure your brand. But without it, you know, we, we are tacticians, right? We, we, we just default too easily to the tactical and to the execution side of marketing. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much, Mitch. I really enjoyed the book. And uh, I wonder how can people uh, learn more about you and uh, where can they find this indispensable brand? Sure. So there's a couple of ways. Um, the The name of my firm is Full Surge. So you can go to www.fullsurge. That's F-U-L-L-S-U-R-G-E dot com. And on there, there is um, an entire page dedicated to the indispensable brand, which which is the book we've just been talking about. There you can also download uh, the first two chapters for free. And there's also a link to purchase it um, on Amazon. So that's the, the, the two easiest ways to learn more about the book and or actually purchase it. Um, and then I would also encourage you just to reach out to me um, on Twitter or LinkedIn. So at Mitch Duckler, M-I-T-C-H-D-U-C-K-L-E-R, if you have questions about it or need more information about the book. Thank you very much, Mitch. And I will put those uh, in the show notes for anyone that didn't want to write them down. Uh, I really appreciate you taking some time. It's, it's great to connect with you. Thanks, David. I really enjoyed the conversation, too. Appreciate it.